Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone, I am here at AWS reInvent in Las Vegas, and I am with Fung Yun. Fung is an assistant professor at the University of Nevada, Reno. Fung, welcome to the Twinwell AI podcast. Thank you. So you just did a talk here on one of your research projects, which is focused on, uh, or it's called Alert Wildfire, and it's focused on detecting wildfire smoke using machine learning. We're going to dive deep into that. Uh, but before we do, how did you get started working on uh, this problem? What, where did your, you know, what's your background and, and how did your interest align with uh, this particular problem? Uh, so my background actually, you know, lies in machine learning and the computer system. So sort of, you know, cross discipline between these two areas. So uh, actually, uh, when I'm doing my PhD, I actually have like a more computer system background, so we can build, uh, you know, efficient uh, you know systems for data centers for you know cloud. And then you know I had an internship in Microsoft Research, and uh, uh, that's where I actually started working on machine learning. So I still remember like back then, you know, we had a you know like a machine learning system. That's actually, you know, at that time we didn't have TensorFlow, didn't have MXNet. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, we we actually, you know, had a system called Atom. So that's actually, you know, the state of the ad system back then. Okay. And uh, you know, I'm, you know, extremely, you know, lucky to have the opportunity to uh, work with the group to work on this system. So that's where I started actually working on the machine learning. And uh, it's uh, actually back in 2014. So it's actually, you know, before, you know, even the the AI and the machine learning, you know, becomes really hot and possible. It's current wave. <laughs> right, right, yeah. before actually the wave, yeah. So, and uh, then uh, later I joined the University of uh, Nevada, Reno, and uh, become, uh, you know, faculty there. Uh, so uh, one like a special thing, right? Because I used to be in the East Coast after I moved to the West Coast. We do see, right? Like one specific uh, like uh, situation here is about the white files, mm-hmm. right? They actually Nevada and California they have a lot of white files, which uh, you know significantly uh, impact the air quality and the people's life. Because you know the smoke uh, contains a lot of particles that's bad for your health, mm-hmm. and uh, also it will you know create this like uh, low visibility situation that's you know dangerous for a lot of things, mm-hmm. and uh, it also you know creates this uh, uh, dry condition and uh, which will lead to even more white files. Okay. So that's why you know I started uh, to you know uh, get kind of curious about, right, how, you know, uh, whether there's any efforts has been made into kind of monitoring, control, you know, the white file and also the white file smoke and air quality. So, and uh, like, uh, 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 very likely, like, uh, Yonar has, uh, you know, a team uh, uh, led by Dr. Uh, Ken, uh, Graham, 
uh, Graham Ken and uh, Ken Smith. They lead the seismology lab there, and they actually uh, had an effort to, to build like a camera system to help uh, you know to monitor the wide file. However, uh, current stage they are basically you know uh, doing things manually. So from like computer science you know, perspective, I'm thinking right. So with my background in machine learning and cloud computing. Uh, I'm wondering whether you know I can help them to build like a more intelligent system. So that's you know where we actually started to think about uh, this project. And uh, later we worked together and actually got uh, like uh, NSF and AWS co-sponsored uh, big data you know grant uh, to work on this project. So uh, you know that's how I actually get into you know this uh, topic. And, uh, and, uh, oh, cool. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that's very fortunate that you walked into this environment where they've already got these cameras deployed to try to solve this problem, oh, right. uh, but no automation <laughs> system in place. Right, right. <laughs> uh, how many cameras have been put in place to uh, monitor the the wildfire situation? Yeah, like. Uh, uh, Right now, we have like more than 150 cameras already deployed, and then there's hundreds more, you know, is going to be deployed soon. So, and, uh, you know, this is the camera system that's specifically built for monitoring wide file. Okay. And uh, the, to- uh, the technologies we develop to actually, you know, use machine learning, edge computing, cloud computing to help, uh, you know, the monitoring accurate can be extended to even, you know, the general camera system. We don't have to be, you know, uh, constrained by like a specific, uh, you know, network because right now there's a lot of camera system, right? They mm-hmm. used for traffic and other purpose. They are already being there. Right. So, you know, that's, uh, you know, the technology can actually can be extended to other systems if needed. Okay. And how are the cameras deployed? Are they in a grid like in forested areas or are they in more populated areas, but, you know, facing edges of forested areas? What's the, the rationale or methodology behind the, the camera system? Uh, yes. So, uh you know, the camera systems, they basically, you know, based on, you know, the areas that are more like prone to, to fires, of okay. course, right? And of course, the specific actually te- uh, technology about the camera itself is actually, you know, led by, you know, the, the, the group of the systemology lab. So we are more kind of on the software side. And so when I think about, you know, monitoring for wildfires and, and images, I, I, one of the immediate thoughts is like satellite imagery. Oh, yes, um, that's a very good question. Conventionally, you know, people are using satellite imaging as well as meteorology to, you know, uh, to do the uh, wide file smoke uh, forecasting and also the air quality uh, uh prediction and forecasting okay so the limitation of this conventional uh, technique is their resolution so actually white file smoke they can transfer actually very fast like we had like a video you know this morning to show to the audience that uh, you know for example for like a major area of reno like uh, you know the whole metro area has close to one million people so it's uh, not as Big as Vegas, but it's still quite a big area. So actually, in a windy uh, day, the smoke actually can, you know, uh, spread over the entire city in just uh, twenty to thirty minutes. Oh wow! So yeah. Uh, so for the conventional uh, methodology, 
they their data is very cost grand. For example, right, the, uh, in terms of both the uh, time dimension and also the spatial dimension. For example, for the uh, time dimension, actually the the data, right, image, no matter satellite image data or meteorology data, they refresh like every a few hours or or even feel you know like a, at the day's level, right? Right, because you've got to wait to, for a satellite to be overhead. Right, 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 right. So. And uh, another uh, thing is about the spatial dimension, right? They basically uh, have like, uh, for example, the typical resolution is like 10 by 10 kilometers. So this is like pretty big, right? In terms of, uh, you know, the, the forecasting. And uh, think about, right, if we do want to like accurate uh, uh, forecasting, for example, for our area of a city or like a neighborhood, right? So mm-hmm. we do need a much finer grand, uh, you know, uh, way to track the smoke and also to the air quality prediction. So that's why, right, uh, we are thinking about, you know, using the camera data, right? Because camera data is very fine grand, right? Mm-hmm. You can, you know, capture the image like uh, a dozen of them per second right and uh, you can basically have infinite uh, resolution as long as you have enough cameras mm-hmm. right so this uh, uh, we sort of use like a hybrid approach to combine both the conventional data like uh, satellite uh, imaging and uh, uh, as well as the meteorology data together with this uh, camera data so that you know we can have like a much finer grander uh, data and another uh, important thing about the traditional approach is, for example, for the satellite data, uh, since it's shooting from the app, right? Actually, like a cloud and other situations can block the view, right? right. So that you will have a lot of missing data. And uh, while well, camera is actually on the ground, so it basically have like, you know, like a, a better view, right? Mm-hmm. But of course, uh, problem with camera data is right they only have local you know views they didn't have like a very good global you know uh, view so that's why it's kind of complementary to each other right that's why we need both of them yeah yeah uh and the the your collaborators that deployed the camera system did you say they're with the department of seismology like are they originally uh, trying to detect yes. earthquakes with the cameras or uh, actually not like okay. they you know i think they uh, just had this idea right because you know in reno we have a lot of uh, uh, you know uh, white file and smoke okay. like situation like, uh, but right now they sort of just uh, deliver the camera data to the, for example, the uh, firefighters, right? So oh, that okay. they can um, manually check whether this area has a fire. And if so, they can use it to monitor it. But it doesn't have any kind of intelligent way to automatically alert uh, uh, when there's a, a fire or smoke. And it doesn't actually track, you know, the fire or smoke, right, automatically. Uh, so you've got this data coming off of these cameras 150 today uh sounds like 10 frames a second you were saying or uh, 10 frames a minute i remember 10 <laughs> right this is actually a parameter you can control right sure yeah sure. you can you know make it uh, like uh, uh, one frame per second or even one 
a frame per minute, right? Yeah. But you can also up to like maybe 30 frames per second, right? Yeah. So that's why, you know, you have a lot of data actually. It's significantly that's what I was more. At, how much data that <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's the scale is so much bigger than the conventional like satellite data or the meteorology data. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, so that's actually you know, our focus, right? So, uh, think about in practice, right? Even though you have these cameras ready, right? You can, you know, have a lot of uh, data coming from the sensors. And then you also have the models, right, mm-hmm. uh, for conventional statistical models as well as the new kind of machine learning, deep learning models, right? But between the data and the, 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 the model, right, you actually need to collect and deliver the data to the model right? Right. in a timely <laughs> way, right? Yeah, so that's why, you know, one of our efforts is uh, how can we do some pre-processing at the edge side, and uh, then, you know, to uh, make the communication uh, or transferring the data more efficiently to the cloud. So that's why we have, you know, this edge and the cloud, uh, you know, working together to mm-hmm. actually deliver the data in a timely way. And uh, another important thing is uh, uh, when you have this massive amount of data, right, you do need to find an efficient way to process it, right? Because if your prediction or uh, detection is too slow, then basically if the fire or the smoke is already past that region, right? right. Then it doesn't matter, right? right. So you have to be <laughs> do this, you know, fast enough to make it uh, proactive. Yeah. Right? So that's why, you know, we a lot of effort also being spent on how can we do like uh, uh, things in like uh, low latency, give good scalability and uh, as well as more efficient, right? Because whenever you talk about this massive amount of data and uh, very complicated machine learning algorithms, right? So they basically consume a lot of computing resources, right? A lot of energy, a lot of uh, computing resource. That's actually at this scale, it does matter, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why, you know, we consider both the uh, latency, scalability, and efficiency into uh, consideration for designing our uh, system. Let's maybe dig into the model itself and the process you took to develop the model. Sounds like the inputs are these images. Are there other features that you're feeding into the, the model? And what is the model ultimately trying to do? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, this is just uh, uh, between us. So actually, you know, since this project starts from the beginning of this year, mm-hmm. so we are still at quite early stage. So uh, some of our efforts in the, you know, models and the training pathway is still uh, ongoing. So that okay. way it's, uh, you know, not uh, yet to, to show because some of them are submitted for publication. Some of them are still, you know, in the... Ah, okay, okay. So... So actually, the talk uh, this morning, of course, we showed some preliminary results about uh, how can we use uh, machine learning models to actually detect uh, the smoke. And uh, uh, I can share a little bit about that. Okay. And then the, actually another uh, thing we have already uh, accomplished uh, uh, at this stage is uh, after you you have the model, right? You do need to do the inference or classification or detection, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so so this is also like a big thing, right? You need to sure. do this in like a real time, right? Maybe I can talk a little bit more about this okay. if you want. Okay. 
so maybe let's start with the results that you presented this morning. Okay. Maybe a good place to start there is the how are you formulating the problem that you're trying to solve? Is it a, a classification problem that you're trying to express it as smoke or not smoke? Or are you trying to determine uh, how much smoke there is? Are you trying to determine the, you know, predict the future likelihood of smoke? How, how do you structure the problem? Okay. So uh, for the problem, uh, first of all, right, for uh, the Processing the camera data is our, actually our focus of this project. Okay. So, uh, of course, we do have a lot of fancy machine learning models right now, right? Mm -hmm. However, you know, these are more kind of towards like this benchmarking, right? So the data is more or less defined, right? Mm -hmm. So one big challenge of uh, detecting smoke is think about it. The smoke is actually has like a various shape, right? Mm -hmm. I would mm -hmm. say, right, in this world, maybe no two smoke looks the same. Right, in right, right. So in other words, like you've got all these, you know, we've got, you know, these models like ResNets and other things that are, you know, trained on things like ImageNet, where you have these very well-defined objects in the, the scene. And I guess they also have kind of technical parameters, like, you know, they're 224, you know, mm -hmm. dimension images, and you've got this stuff, Right. Coming off of a camera, you know, so real images, you know, of things that for, you know, most of the time you see them in a picture aren't even really there. Right, right, right. exactly. <laughs> so uh, actually there are two uh, challenges, right? One is about the environment, right? Think about in a real situation, you have different light conditions, right? Mm -hmm. And then you also have... Uh, uh, various background, right? For example, in a, like a mountain area, right? When there's cloud, right? Mm -hmm. Then basically the cloud and the smoke can look very identical, right? Yeah. Even, you know, humans are difficult to tell the difference. Right. Right. And also uh, the smoke itself, right? Uh, first of all, uh, it has various shape. And second, it's actually changing, right? The shape is changing over right. time, right? So that's, you know, the two challenges when you, you know, want to classify this, right? Okay, okay. And so what has been your approach for overcoming those challenges? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, actually, you know, we are at this, this stage, right, we tried some, you know, standard uh, kind of models and we did transfer learning. And uh, for some like uh, easier like things, we actually can you know do already very well you know with existing te uh, techniques. But uh, for some more kind of challenge, right background or some like fast changing you know uh, smoke, it's mm -hmm. we, we are still still trying to to find a way to to solve it. It's still like ongoing project. Okay. Okay. It sounds like. At this stage, the model formulation or the problem formulation would probably be something on the simpler side, like mm -hmm. just a classifier, smoke or no smoke. Yeah. So uh, for smoke and no smoke, right, we actually have already done some, you know, preliminary like uh, testing and uh, it's actually can work very well, except some like really challenging, you know, things. Yeah. And uh, our eventual goal is, right, so we can actually not only uh, identify with smoke or no smoke, but uh, also we can identify the density of the smoke, right? Okay. So, and then use that to map to like uh, uh, air quality, you know, measure so mm -hmm. that uh, we can directly tell from the image about the air quality, basically. Okay. 
Yeah, and another uh, big challenge when you want to do the uh, machine learning in uh, this classification task is you don't have the label data, right? So, uh, so currently we are, you know, still trying to uh, use some supervised ways to to train the model mm-hmm. and uh, to do the classification. But eventually, we do want to, you know, utilize you know semi-supervised learning and uh, unsupervised learning so that we can, you know, use the uh, camera data directly, right, raw data, uh, to help uh, building models and improve the models. So you've got some preliminary models that you've developed that can start to differentiate between smoke and non-smoke, and you're continuing to work in this area so that you can do things like identify density patterns and and things like that. Uh, But the main focus of the work that you've done thus far and have published on is, it sounds like on the inference side and and you know, maybe some of the characteristics related to the edge nature of the uh, the camera deployment. Are you taking advantage of? Actually, is more of a question than a statement. Are you, are you uh, doing like inference at the edge? Is that part of what you're what you're trying to build towards? Uh, uh yes. So for the edge part, uh, it's still ongoing. So what we have done so far is about uh, how you can do efficient uh, inference at the cloud side. On the cloud side, got it. Okay. So, uh, so on the cloud side, right? If you think about it, right, about uh, a camera uh, network system, right? Uh, when you do this tracking and prediction, basically there will be cameras join the network and leave the network, right? Because the smoke may spread into like a new area, as well as the network condition is very unstable. Right. Mm-hmm. So basically, you have this kind of dynamic uh, uh, workload, right? Because the number of cameras and number of requests sent to your uh, to the cloud for uh, classification and detection is actually changing over the time, mm-hmm. right? And especially, for example, right when the uh, smoke uh, moving to like a metro area, right? Well, you know, we do need to pay like more attention, which means we may need a finer grand prediction, right? Because uh, the smoke can transport over to like a neighborhood, right? In like, uh, you know, second level, right? So that's why, you know, usually when the smoke uh, approaching to like a metro area, you will have suddenly like a very high number of requests you need to process, right? Okay. Because uh, one thing is you have uh, uh, a lot of cameras, right, in metro area. The second is uh, it's very important, right, to uh, detect and uh, to classify and detect things timely in a metro area because uh, there are denser populations of people, right? So in this case, when you have this kind of uh, suddenly increased uh, uh, demand for uh, inference, then you do need to have like a good way to scale, right, in the Mm -hmm. uh, cloud. So uh, uh, we have a joint uh, work with uh, Hong Kong University of Science and Technology, uh, where we did like uh, auto scaling work. So right now, uh, Amazon, to have uh, uh, something called SageMaker that can automatically uh, scale your uh, number of instances 
to a high level when it observes uh, increase the load. However, this is very cost-grand approach. Uh, it, uh, first of all, it's a feedback approach. So it observe and then act, which means it takes quite a while bef- uh, between it observed the, the high load and its actual scales. Usually this is at a few minutes level right now. However, right, if you want to, you know, do this real-time uh, fine-grained monitoring of smoke, then basically you need to do things at second level, right? So that's why we created like a new system called Mark that can uh, have much uh, quicker scalability than uh, SageMaker. So the key idea here is, right, so uh, SageMaker is sort of feedback way of doing things, right? It's uh, observe and then interact, right? And there's another way you can do is over-provisioning, right? So basically I predict there might be like a higher load, right? And then I increase the resources uh, in advance, right? And of course, right, in this way you will have uh, uh, extra cost. And another thing is you cannot always predict, right? Uh, correctly. For example, right, if you look at, uh, you know, the load curve, usually just like a stock market, right, it's randomly and, uh, you know, can surge very high sometimes and uh, then suddenly, you know, drops, right? Mm-hmm. So in this case, if you cannot uh, predict uh, the load uh, like accurately, right, then what can you do, right? Mm-hmm. So our solution is uh, combining, you know, the instructor as a service together with uh, function as a service or, you know, the popular service provided by uh, cloud providers. Okay. And uh, the idea here is, right, we still would like to use infrastructure as a service because it's much cheaper in terms of cost. Uh, however, uh, for function as service, it uses a container, right? And it can scale very fast at uh, like a second level. So. Right. So for the normal load, right, we just use uh, uh, the infrastructure as a service, those virtual machines to provide the main uh, computing power. And But when there is a surge of load, right, uh, of course, we will do some predictions, right? If the prediction is accurate, then we can do provisioning. But mm-hmm. if it fails, we, we will use the uh, serverless uh, instance as a, a transition period so that it oh, can immediately, you know, take the new load while you are starting, you know, new virtual machines. Mm-hmm. And uh, once the new virtual machines has been started, basically you can, the uh, serverless uh, instance can transfer the work back to the infrastructure service so that you will have like instant scalability while also, you know, uh, control the uh, cost. Thinking about this in the context of cloud, you know, this is maybe, I don't know if we talk about this a whole lot nowadays, but we used to talk about this concept of cloud bursting where you'd have like some normalized infrastructure capacity within your enterprise and then you have some burst of activity and you process that off in the cloud. This is like function bursting or something like that where you're running everything on instances uh, in the cloud and then bursting into Lambda for excess capacity. Oh, yes. That's uh, the general yeah, idea. Yeah, yeah, it's very similar to the concept. But uh, instead of using purely, you know, Lambda, for example, right, 
uh, we actually, you know, uh, we actually did some experiment and uh, uh, find right if you are everything is on lambda since you know machine learning is very expensive, right? You actually need to like uh, uh, much higher you know cost eventually. So so that's why, right? So we you know had this idea to combine the infrastructure as a service together with uh, the function as a service mm-hmm. to enjoy the benefit of both worlds, right? One right. is right. cost efficiency, and the other is uh, instant uh, you know scalability. Yeah. Another thing, you know, we didn't uh, use uh, the function as a service at this stage is. Uh, they do have some limitations about, uh, you know, the model size, like the function size you can actually right. have. You only get certain amount of memory right, right. and certain amount of yes, execution exactly. time, that kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, we actually have some effort is pushing on, you know, making, enabling the uh, functions as service to support these larger models. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's still, you know, undergoing. So I cannot show too much uh, okay. details at okay. this stage. So what's interesting about this is it to me is that you know independent of the domain that you're applying this to yeah as more folks are moving machine learning workloads to the cloud it gets more and more important to figure out creative ways to cost optimize like you know building systems to move stuff over to spot instances versus uh you know regular instances and this is another kind of way to arbitrage the cost difference between, you know, one service, the functions uh, versus the the infrastructure. Oh, yes. So actually, the cost plays a very important role here, right? Because uh-huh. think about this is a service, this is a continuous, you know, process, right? right. It's not just one-time effort, right? right? So that's why, right, you know, if you think about the accumulated, uh, right, uh, the cost and the benefits, it's actually, it's quite significant. Mm-hmm. Especially mm-hmm. for this uh, machine learning, right, uh, uh, models, they are quite kind of intensive, right? Mm-hmm. They consume a lot of resources, and so have you been successfully doing inference on Lambda or is it, are you using some other functions capability? Uh, yes, we did actually uh, being able to uh, deploy some uh, relatively smaller models on mm-hmm. Lambda. However, for some larger models, uh, right now we are still, you know, uh, uh, have some ongoing efforts to, to make it uh, being deployed on Lambda. There are two aspects uh, of what you're doing. One is focused on how to achieve the scalability requirements, and, and this is this idea of bursting the la- lambda or the functions. You also mentioned an element of this that's focused on latency. Um, and what's the the driver there? Is it just decreasing the amount of time it takes to get a prediction out to someone who can act on it, or is there another consideration? Oh, yes, this is a very good question. So about the latency part, actually, you know, it's very critical because all these, you know, machine learning models, they do take a lot of time to process a request, right? Think about, uh, uh, for example, right, inception model, right? They have hundreds or even thousands of operations, right? So basically each image you send, they need to go through all these operators, mm-hmm. right? So if you're doing it sequentially, of course it would be take like, you know, uh, a lot of time, right? Can be like seconds to even minutes, right? So one way to accelerate the processing speed is through uh, parallelism. So, and also batching. So for the parallelism part, so 
basically almost uh, all modern uh, machine learning inference or serving frameworks, they do provide these control knobs. Usually you can uh, have the request level parallelism as well as operator level parallelism. For example, uh, at the request level, basically it means you can process multiple requests in parallel. Right. This is like uh, you know, just like traditional sure. serving. It's very yeah. easy to understand. For the operation level, basically it means how many threads or how many calls will be assigned to execute each operator. Mm-hmm. So since operators they do have uh, dependency, right? Uh, so it's quite complicated, you know, how you configure you know this uh, parallelism, right? Some people may say, I just set it to maximum, right? If my CPU have 20 calls, why I just set, you know, yeah. 20, right? However, this uh, uh, way the experiments shows it's actually doesn't, uh, uh, you know, work idea like this because there, the more threads you have, you will have more contention for the results because mm-hmm. we know, you know, uh, we have limited cache bandwidth, also the cache capacity, right? So if you have too many threads working on just one operation sometimes it will cause contentions and actually this will create even more overhead and slow down your processing so that's why you know it's not always like you set things as maximum would uh, give you the benefit uh, we actually you know find most of the time actually you know it's just a random value in between depending on your uh, model depending on the specific system yeah and another important aspect is uh, batching so uh, the batching basically Be- means... Before we move on to, to batching, when we're talking about operator parallelism, what's the operator in this context? Oh, yes, that's a good question. So uh, for the operators, right, basically you can think about, right, all the, no matter, you know, what models you have. Are we talking right? about things like low-level things like multiplies and accumulates and that kind of thing? Or Yeah, so modern machine learning uh, frameworks, they... Uh, actually take your model as input and then they will create a computational graph, mm-hmm. right? For example, some operators, you know, doing like a, a matrix multiplication, right? Some just like a simple, like element-wise operation, mm-hmm. right? So uh, all these operations basically are executed in your system. So we're talking about kind of unrolling the computational graph and understanding how it can be parallelized across multiple cores, Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, however, the since all these uh, frameworks they provide, uh, you know, a control knob so that you can set, you know, different parallelisms for operators as well as for a request. For requests, basically, it's admission policy, right? However, the things they don't tell you how to set it for a specific model and deploy it in a specific system. Okay. And we find that if you set it in a different way, it actually can significantly impact your latency. All right. And so you're about to, to mention the second part of latency, which is the batch size. Yeah. yeah. So another important uh, uh, thing people do for accelerating the uh, processing speed is batching. So basically, batching means you just uh, uh, you don't execute a request uh, like uh, one by one, but rather you will form like a, uh, you will put several images together into a batch. So the benefit of batching is right; it creates more opportunities for optimization, right? Parallelism op- optimization, right? For example, right, if you have like a small matrix, right, because it. Uh, 
uh, when you do, for example, ma- matrix multiplication, right? If you have two small metrics, of course, uh, uh, things can be done in parallel, but in like uh, you know very limited uh, degree. However, if you have two big m- metrics, right, then basically you can you know divide them and uh, you know better accelerate them. Right, so that's why you know the batching can actually helps you know the efficiency of uh, the computation, right? So all these you know low level libraries they actually you know develop to optimize you know the computation when you have like a larger uh, degree of input dimension. Okay. So uh, however, right, uh, batching have two sides, right? One is it can increase the computational efficiency and then accelerate, uh, you know, the overall computation. Mm-hmm. However, if you think about it, in order to f- form like a large batch, right? You increase not, latency. Not, right, right. It's not <laughs> in a training, right? Because right. in training, all your data is there, right? right. You can create uh, whatever batch size you want. Right. But in the real-time inference, actually request uh, arrives in a random pattern, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, there are more requests, sometimes less requests, right? And uh, if you want to create uh, like a larger batch, means the earlier arrived request, they actually have to wait the later request, mm-hmm. right? Then this penalizes the earlier request. Another thing is, right, even though when you, for example, put 10 requests together, right, it's faster than, you know, execute individual of them. However, it still takes longer, right? Right, right. Say like uh, each request has takes 100 milliseconds to process, right? Then if you do one by one, then you need one second, right? However, if you do it in a batch, maybe it's just a 500 milliseconds, right? Then still think about the first request. Originally, it only takes 100 milliseconds, but now it takes 500 milliseconds, right? right? Of course, the later request will benefit a lot from this because uh, think about the queuing waiting perspective, right? Mm-hmm. They, they need to wait earlier requests finish, right? Mm-hmm. They can immediately, you know, go through the process and it's, you know, doing faster, right? Yeah. So that's, you know, the, the reason you cannot... Uh, do an arbitrary batch size, right? Mm-hmm. So actually, we, uh, modern uh, machine learning frameworks, they do provide two control knobs here. One is the batch size, maximum batch size, which means once you hit the threshold, it will be sent to the uh, system, right? Even you have even more, it uh, you know still just send uh, this size. Uh, the second is uh, the wait, something called the uh, waiting timeout, which means you don't want to wait forever to create a batch, right? right? Since we are talking about latency, right? Every request matters, mm-hmm. right? So, however, set these two parameters in a real system is really complicated, right? It mm-hmm. depends on a lot of factors. So, uh, if you think of both parallelism and uh, batching parameters, right? We have actually a lot of parameters here you need to tune, right? Mm-hmm. I would say even system expert and machine learning expert, right? They work together. It's difficult, uh, you know, to find a way to just manually tune these uh, parameters. Mm-hmm. Plus, you know, based on different uh, uh, system situation and different workload, right? These parameters need to be changed, right? So that you can achieve the optimal, right? So that's why you know we created an automatic way you know, to help people to uh, configure these parameters. So our actually first work uh, 
published in supercomputing 2016, we actually built a, like a queuing model to actually, you know, to model the situation, you know, when you have, you know, these different parallelisms. Okay. And then we can mathematically, you know, uh, compute an optimal solution oh, nice. for the scheduling. And yeah, this is all this is all bringing me back to the stuff that I did in grad school. Oh, really? Wow. Queuing theory <laughs> yeah, and stochastic modeling and yes, yes. MMNQs and all that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, you name it, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. And, and uh, of course, the limitation of that work is, right, uh, you do need to have uh, some assumptions, right? Right. For example, uh, IID arrival. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do need to assume the uh, random arrival, right? Right. Which follows the ID distribution, right? right? And also, you know, for that work, we also assume, you know, the request size are deterministic, which means uh, it's actually true for a lot of uh, computer vision tasks, right? Think about Mm -hmm. all the pictures, they have the same dimension, right? right? Right. And the model is the same. Of course, Mm -hmm. they take roughly the same time to process, Mm -hmm. right? However, this is not true actually for uh, some other applications like, uh, you know, speech uh, recognition. Right for natural language processing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it depends on your sentence is short or longer, right? right. The processing time can be different. Uh, think about right. So the, basically, the model-based approach they do need some assumptions, right? So and uh, make it, if we want to make it more general in practice, we actually you know uh, there's another ways doing model-free approach, right? Of course, there are tons of different learning-based approach for model-free, right? So, uh, of course, right, some simple things like a Bayesian optimization, right, is something is also very popular, right? So the reason we choose uh, reinforcement learning is because uh, uh, think about the dimension here, right? We actually have a lot of parameters you need to tune, right? So it's mm-hmm. actually, you know, multi-dimensional uh, problem. So, uh, so quite complicated. So that's why we choose the uh, reinforcement learning as our approach, right? However, for reinforcement learning, there is a big limitation. Uh, it needs a lot of training samples and it converges very slowly, right? Mm-hmm. So this is actually not ideal, right? In like uh, a real-time system, right? Right. So also it creates a lot of you know overheads, and uh, so our you know. Uh, but those those problems are training time problems as opposed to inference time problems. Yes or no? Uh, if you want to use a reinforcement learning to configure your system, right? Then then this is like a training problem. But of course, right. it's different than. So we have two machine learning parts, right? One is machine learning itself, right? Yeah. And the other is to configure the system parameters, right? Right. So right. we actually <laughs> use a machine learning model to find, uh, you know, an optimal solution to do the machine learning inference. Right. <laughs> it's right. 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 Yeah. 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 So uh, the conventional reinforcement learning, right? They do have like a relatively long learning cycle. Uh, so what we observed is for this specific problem, right? So think about it, right? When you have, you know, this complex, uh, complex computational graph, right? You may have, you know, uh, hundreds of different uh, operators, right? Mm-hmm. So some operators may be more sensitive to this, you know, uh, parameter, right? 
others may be more sensitive to other system parameters, right? So when you do like a very slight change, right? For example, just one of the parameter increased uh, maybe from two to three, right? So in this case, actually a lot of, uh, maybe only some of the parameters, they, you know, uh, have like pronounced uh, change, but most of others may be not so much, right? Mm -hmm. But all global, you know, situation is that uh, it doesn't uh, show much of the change, right? Mm -hmm. However, if you did a, a big change, right, then almost all of them have different behaviors. Then, then this will show like uh, uh, more kind of pronounced uh, changes globally, right? So sure. if you draw like a heat map, right, you will see, right, when you have uh, a big change, the, the latency will be totally different. Mm -hmm. However, if you zoom in, right, say I just do a small change, actually it's locally, it's very smooth. It's actually doesn't, uh, you know, change latency much, right? So then we are thinking about, right, why we just, uh, you know, do less of the, uh, the learning samples. And then we use, you know, the one learning sample to actually help estimate, right, the nearby regions. So that's, you know, why we, created an approach called region-based reinforcement learning or hmm. RL in short. Okay. Yeah. So, so we find, you know, uh, compared to state-of-the-art uh, reinforcement learning approach, you know, used for system configuration, we can significantly reduce, you know, the learning uh, curve. So basically the reinforcement learning models uh, can converge so much faster and it also uh, think about, right, it's a continuous learning process, right? So whenever you have your models changed or, you know, even, you know, the system can have, you know, changes, right? Especially if it's a cloud system, right? Itself have a lot of randomness, right? So whenever there's a change, right, basically the models will uh, learn to adapt to it, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why, you know, the fast convergence is uh, critical here. I feel like I'm close to understanding what uh -huh. you're what you're doing with the region-based RL. What I am envisioning is you're doing something where you're changing your optimization, your cost function, so that you're more focused on kind of this coarse grain sensitivity analysis kind of thing. Yeah. Um, if you think about reinforcement learning, right? It basically you know, have two key things, right? One is action, one is state, right? Right. So it's just like, you know, we are learning things or playing a game, right? Yeah. We would try different actions, right? And then we will get different rewards, right? Mm -hmm. Of course, in different state, you try different actions, you will get different rewards, mm -hmm. right? So that's basically the uh, space of the whole learning process, mm -hmm. right? So our approach basically says, right, if you try one action in a certain state, right, state, uh, basically you you probably didn't need to try another very close by action because it gives you will be roughly, you know, similar amount of reward. Mm -hmm. so, so in other words, you're kind of quantizing the action space a little bit differently, more coarse grained. Yeah, you can you can imagine kind that. of think about it right, right. sort of like that. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, uh, and of course, uh, you know, we do introduce like a hyperparameter, right, to mm -hmm. see how big is the region, right? Yeah. So, if you have like, uh, you know, 
too large region, then you know it, it will sort of you know. So 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 the region size basically means right. If you have like a larger region size, you will learn mm -hmm. faster. But mm -hmm. uh, if it's too big, then you will never converge, right? It's kind of like a learning rate. Right, right. right. If you have like a too small one, of course, uh, you know, it will have takes less risk, but right. takes longer, right? right? If you have uh, a size of one, basically, it's uh, traditional conventional reinforcement learning. Right, right. right. Yeah. And so then do you start to ask questions like, you know, there's all kinds of things that have been done for learning rate optimization, like cyclical learning rates and things like that. Do you then think about applying that to your region size? Yeah, so so actually, you know, uh, uh, it's, you know, still, you know, we just sent a journal paper to specifically talk about, you know, this. So, so I didn't want to, to, to... You don't want to play all your cards for where you're Yeah, yeah, so, so, so probably let's maybe, you know, uh, stop, uh, because I didn't want to later... People saying you you know, violated some, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So you have ideas. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, so the I think the key message here, right, is yeah. uh, even if you have a good uh, training model, right. Mm -hmm. So in order to do this, you know, real time uh, detection is actually not that easy. So mm -hmm. you do need to consider, you know, the machine learning actually are quite expensive compared to conventional statistical models. Mm -hmm. And uh, as well as, right, you do have this changing demanding of the workload, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why, right, you need to consider, you know, the latency as well as the scalability. Mm -hmm. And of course, right, if you want to go to cloud, right, the efficiency is always a problem, right? If, mm -hmm. if you have infinite amount of budget, right, of course, you just go for the most expensive equipment, right? right? right. But it's not true, right? Actually, it's quite uh, costly, right? Mm -hmm. So especially for, for machine learning uh, inference, right? If you want to continuously rent, uh, you know, uh, a lot of machines, right? The, the actual uh, computing resource and energy is tremendous, mm -hmm. right? So any savings around this line would be, you know, give you like a huge benefit. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Feng, thanks so much for taking the time to share with us what you're up to. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. All right, everyone. That's our show for today. To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit twimmelai.com. Of course, if you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.